Welcome everyone to Keep Hope Alive, starring yours truly, Tony Derillis. This podcast is about a genuine, authentic experience about a young man navigating the foster care system and making it to the other side, defying statistics. This podcast covers former and current foster youth, not just in New York City, but across the country. Tony shares all of what's happening in foster care to uplift and empower foster youth, foster parents, agency staff, and social workers. Keep hope alive. Until next time. Welcome to another podcast episode with yours truly, Keep Hope Alive, starring Tony Derillis. And I got someone special, special, uh, really needs no introduction, someone who's really optimistic, always resilient, always a fighter, and always just striving for change. And she's literally everywhere within the foster care field and just always trying her best to make systematic change. Ladies and gentlemen, Gareth. How you feeling? Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, Tony. It's great to be back on the show, uh, part number two. So as Tony did lovely uh, with my introduction, my name is Dareth Ogle, but everybody calls me D for short. Um, I'm a yeah. former youth in care. What school you go to? Uh, and go ahead. What school you go to? I go to Metropolitan College, um, currently taking up my master's in public administration there. Um, nice. Previously graduated from Albany University, I'm sorry, University at, at Albany. Nice. Um, with my, yeah, with a bachelor's. And so, yeah. Okay, that's what's up. All right. And like, what, what, what kind of uh, full-time career are you trying to get with that? So right now I am working in compliance um, as like a compliance auditor for a nonprofit organization. I initially started working with the, um, sorry, educate, sorry, early childhood education services. And then uh, due to the pandemic, I changed programs to care management. Okay. Okay. So that program deals with uh, individuals with um, developmental, intellectual disabilities, maybe behavioral challenges or acute illnesses. Right. That sounds extremely challenging too. Yes, and you you would you you'd be not surprised, but you'd be enlightened to know how many kids in foster care actually are also in who also receive care management services as well. So. Yeah. All right. Hello, Miss Elite. Thank you for dropping in today. Yes, appreciate that. I'm just reading the uh, the comments so far. People are slowly dropping in. <laughs> um. So yeah, let's get into it. I know before in our uh, previous just conversation, we talked a little bit about um, just the ins and outs of how you got into care, what that mm -hmm. looks like. Mm -hmm. Um. You mind just giving like a, a for the a people that might have missed it, just like some insight on 
how you got into care, what that looks like, and just kind of how you navigate it. Right. So I entered into care at the age of two years old. Um, as the records tell it, um, it was due to some sort of uh, abuse or neglect. Um, I'm not really sure. Um, I have spoken to my birth mother about it when I, you know, when I met up with her at 16, and um, she feels as though it was a combination of things. Um, she feels as though she was railroaded, which is quite possible at that time. That was what the late 90s, so that's quite possible. Um, but I'm sure that she wasn't totally, you know, mm. fault free, you know. So, right. but we still we have we have a pretty good relationship. Um, I stayed into I stayed in foster care up until the age of 22, I believe. Um, I was yeah, just say that again. You had extension of policy. A few times, like oh, a, okay. quite a few, uh, yeah, quite a few ETPs. Um, and, yeah. and, for, and for the people who don't know what ETP is, right? Because there might be some people that are slowly yeah. circling in and they're like, "What the heck is that?" Uh, do you mind like kind of expanding on that? Sure. Uh, an exception to policy is uh, a form that is filed on behalf of the child that is in care uh, when they have reached the age as to where the agency technically by law would probably not be um, reimbursed for um, providing services for this child. So therefore in order for them to be reimbursed to some extent or um, to the full amount for caring for that child, they must file something called an extension to policy, meaning that that child is um, over the age limit for uh, receiving those services, but they still need them. So, and, you know, the agency often files those for children who are over the age of, I think, 21 and who still reside in foster boarding homes or residential group homes. Yeah, that wrapped it up really nicely. <laughs> oh, and also, Miss uh, Lee says, see, that's why I want to adopt a kid someday. I appreciate that because, like, you know, I, it's it's really much needed. A lot of young people are just, uh, they just want a forever home. They you out know? there, yeah. And uh, it, it hurts. It yeah. hurts yeah. Uh, having to move from home to home. Oh, yeah. But I don't want to get, I don't want to jump ahead. I'm going to let Dareth uh, handle that. That's what I did to adopt. Um, the, the only thing I would say is that just just do it where your heart is in it. Um, mm. You may not, you're not, I'm not even going to say you may not. You're, you will not get the perfect kid. There will It will require some work on both parts, um, part of the child, uh, part of the agency and the ancillary the ancillary services that they provide, as well as um, being able to open your home and integrate, you know, having the government in a way in your business. <laughs> um, yeah. And also getting to know a, a new person, a little person who might be actually, you know, who will be, who is a mature person sometimes. So I would just say, make sure that your heart is in it 100%. Um, you will be disappointed because it, child welfare is not an easy uh, road to navigate. It's not easy. Um, you're only as good as what you know. Your own, and so that's just, but I'm all for adopting children. I always said when I get older, I will become a foster mother. I don't necessarily know if I'll adopt. It, it depends, I guess, on the scenario because my my thought on it would be that I would just house children until they can return to their birth parents because I I'm I would like to see families reunited, right? I hate to see a family broken apart. 
um, as long as I just you just treat the child well until they go back home, you know, and that's you just do you get you just have to do the best you can do for that yeah. situation. Uh, Darius, you've never been adopted, right? No, because you. Uh, I didn't want to be adopted. The idea was that you you wanted to, um, but like if you if if you did have like that forever family or that family that was loving and caring and really just when it had the best intentions for you, do you feel like that would have been in the cards for you? I did have that family. I do have that family. Um, I just didn't want to be adopted because I got to a point where I felt like no one was going to be able to take care of me better than I could. Um, Mm -hmm. Everyone has everyone that I came by the time I got to a family like that. I, well, I had a foster mother like that when I was young but they took me out of her home for whatever reason it was. I'm pretty sure I explained it in the last session. Um, but um, for whatever reason it was, they took me out of her home. And then let's see, I was about, I was about six years old. So then what, a little bit, 11 years later, I had another foster, foster mother who was, you know, she wasn't like that. She wasn't like that foster mother, but she was, she was good. She was good to me. So, but I, I, I already, by that age, I already was like, look, I know who my family is. Um, nobody's going to take care of me better than I can. Not only that, these people are getting me at points in my life. Um, nobody really knows me. And then, you know, I would have much rather somebody adopt me who had me from the time I was a kid up until I was in my teen years or whatever. I, 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 everybody is getting to know me in these fragments of my life and they're only getting to know the me that knows them, that got to know them. So it's Mm -hmm. not like I'm fully being myself because I have to also, um, I have to also acclimate myself into that dynamic. And so that does not always create for the best space to be just your whole genuine self, right? You have to be yourself to an extent that is appropriate and to an extent that is, you know, um, that's that I'll just leave it at appropriate. That's appropriate for that household and that dynamic. So while she was good to me, there were certain things that like every foster mother had this thing where they would talk about you behind your back and, Mm -hmm. From once you do that, you lose my respect. Don't get me wrong. She was good to me. But from once you do that, it's just, it's done. So while we have a really, really good relationship, like I have love for her and everything. And I know she has love for me. Um, I didn't ever see that becoming a mommy daughter kind of thing. Because like I said, she got me at a certain point in my life where I was like, look, I see people who they are and and I take the good with the bad. I had to learn how to take the good with the bad. So I still have her as a permanent connection. I can go to her house right now, do laundry, stay there for two, three weeks, maybe three months. You know, she would not mind. Well, at least I don't think she would mind. But, um, you know, so I have those, those connections and I continue to nurture those relationships. But adoption just, I don't think adoption was for, it, was, it wasn't for me. Because yeah. I, knew who my, I, knew, I knew who my family was. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Let, let, let's actually do a deep dive, because um, this is something I didn't really talk too much about in the last one, but I'm kind of curious just about the different ways that you have to survive mm-hmm. when you're going from home to home, because I think that's really important, and I think a lot of people would get value from that, right? So, like, for instance, I know for me, even though I was in kinship care, mm-hmm. there I remember times where my aunt would act differently from when from when the social worker was there to like just everyday in and out everyday life right like making sure the fridge was good making sure the living space got to hey don't, it, don't. if you if you say something don't don't 
say anything bad about me, right? Like, make sure everything is good. I didn't do nothing wrong. We're yeah, clear, right? So, like, kind of delve a little bit into, like, just how you have to hide. It go kind of segues back into how you had to hide parts of yourself, right? You couldn't be your true, authentic self in those moments. That, to me, is something that... It ha so it's, it's it's very similar to like when you have a coworker who normally doesn't really do much. They do the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. um, but when the supervisor comes around, they're like, oh, now now they're putting their best foot forward. They're making sure they're, they're dotting their I's, crossing their T's. They're making sure that they're on their P's and Q's. It's the same narrative with foster parents. It's it's it, it, and it's yeah, it's, just, it's that same narrative. Like when nobody, you, you get to know who a person really is when no one is looking. So mm -hmm. that within, that's just, that's just to me, that's just the part of the, the system. That's just the part of it. You know, everybody right. is putting their best foot forward when, un, when they're under the scope, but when they're not, and you know, that's when you, you really get to see, you know, who, who's, who people really are mm -hmm. um, surviving that. You have to stay mentally strong. You have to be very perceptive. Um, you also have to have discernment and you have to have self-control and patience because there'll be a lot of the time, there'll be a lot of times, and that, ha that has happened to me before where uh, a case planner comes to the home or a home finder comes to the home and you know that the clothes, the clothing in the drawer that they're showing them does not belong to you, but God forbid mm. you say anything because they're not the social worker is not going to take you with them that night. The home find is not going to take you with them that night. And quite frankly, you'd be lucky if they even note it in their notes that you mentioned to them that the clothes did not belong to you. Because a lot of a lot listen, a lot of people don't have as much integrity as they present. Or you, a lot of I've learned along the way that integrity is 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 something that is becoming very scarce. Um, mm. So a lot of places present like they're ethically integrity, you know, like they have ethical. Eth I'm sorry that they're ethical and that they have integrity, but that's not always the case. Um, and I'm not saying that that's the entire child welfare system. No, it that presents itself in a lot of different systems, criminal across all systems. Um, social welfare system, criminal justice system. You'll see that a lot. P when you see these officers in their in their pictures with their hats on and their mm -hmm. and their and they look like well-to-do people, and then you hear about a scandal, and there goes that gray area, right? You gotta figure out, like, oh boy. So that 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 in a nutshell is really what it, you know. That's what it is. But you have to be strong-minded enough to 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 keep. Keep note of it. That's what I used to do. I used to keep a note of it. So it's like, all right, she go, she's a liar. If she going to lie to her, she'll lie to anybody. So if you're not going to be the type of kid to say, to say, I don't care what you tell me. When the caseworker come here, I'm screaming and I'm telling her that that's not my clothes. Because you have, I, I have come into contact with kids like that. And I take my hat mm -hmm. off. They're brave. Because they didn't know whether or not the case planner was going to take them with with them that night, or if they was going to leave them there, and if they did leave them there, they didn't care what the repercussions were. Right. You gotta, you that, gotta be and, and, and that's so risky too, because there's that fear of retaliation with the oh, yeah. right? And they will and retaliate. That's, that's
that's what keeps a lot of foster kids in check. Let's be real. You know like, we don't we don't want to jeopardize what's going on in our current situation. And you don't want to make it worse. That it could be worse. Yes, yes. And that's and to me, that's sad that kids have to think like that. That damn, this abuse is not that bad. Mm. Just that analogy in itself is like, what? No, don't justify it. Just don't deal with it, you know? But I had to learn how to speak up. I had to learn. And I realized, too, people, regardless of whether or not they're going to give you trouble after, people respect you. When mm. they know that they can't pull that crap with you, they respect <laughs> you. And I had to learn that. I learned. I probably learned that maybe around the time I was a, in my early adolescence, probably like around 11 or 12. When you speak up but God, and, and, and you speak up and you don't got no fear, people respect you. Because they know they can't play with you. And they know they can't, you know, they can't pull a wool over your eyes or they can't put no fear in you. And shit, excuse my language. Being in foster care is is like being in the streets. You can't show no fear. You can't show, you can't be, you know what I'm saying? You can't be nervous. You got to stand your ground, 10 toes down. Yes, she, those clothes in that dresser is not mine. And if she's telling you it's mine, she's lying. Make her show you the receipts. Make you know, like if you really, really push that. But you see, sometimes I've seen kids do that, and the social worker get mad at them because now they got to do more work. Now they got to mm -hmm. be. Now they got to be in, in, at odds with the foster parent because the foster parent's like, "Who you gonna believe, a child or the adult? Y'all license." Right. Yes. So why would why would I do such a thing if y'all license me? Because then it throws it back on them and say, "Okay, what kind of vigilance or what kind of hello, Ace Thunder two three four? How you doing?" Um. What kind of way that where's the training? Or, you know, like where's your expertise in that? Because your agency licensed me. So if I'm doing, you know, like so sometimes social workers get even sometimes social workers get mad. I think that's why a lot of kids get scared because mm -hmm. and I have to tell one of my old roommates that, like, don't be afraid to tell these social workers what's really going on. Like when I used to live in the yeah. support house, I used to live in another building. They changed my building now. They're used to, they're, well, not even used to because my roommate still sends me pictures and videos. There's homeless people that sleep in the hallways. There are drug drug addicts. They own the building, basically. Right after the owner, they own the building. The drug addicts, the drug pushers, those people. And when I used to complain, what happened? They get upset. They used to get upset. They used to get impatient. This, this is what they used to say. Oh, you're the only one that ever complained. Okay, I'm fine with that. Wow. Yeah, that speaks volumes, though. That speaks volumes. It's, it's, it's telling it's you that you. you need to you need to calm it down. You need to not complain. Oh, this is the best that we got. You need to take what you could get. And I feel like if more kids would stand their ground, mm -hmm. and and not and not just enforce the kid, any kid that is being abused anywhere. Any kid that is being taken advantage, or any person really that's being taken advantage of any in any way, anywhere, right? If people would just, if those who are being wronged would just stand their ground, it, it, we would make such a difference. If you if you watch, if you see history, that's really what it was: is the good versus the evil, the good versus the bad, the selfish versus the the selfless, right? Those who wanted to share versus those who did not. But those people who stood their ground. On that Edmund Pittis, whatever bridge, down there in Selma, stood their ground. You understand? that? That's where you make change, when you stand your ground. But we got so many kids who they want to, but they know that the support is not going to be there. Right. And, and that's what I was going to get into, too, right? Because I can already, some of the, 
young people right now that are in care, I could probably hear them groaning right now like, yo, miss, it's already hard enough being strong and patient as is. Like, I'm already at my breaking point. Mm-hmm. What do you say to those kids that are just like, yo, I'm, I'm tired. Like, I don't have any more. I can't. If you at your breaking point, break. Sorry. I don't mean to sound like harsh enough, but if you at your breaking point, break. Because you holding all of that in, you gotta you going through life holding all of that in while those people are going about their life fine, not thinking mm-hmm. twice about nothing. And that's really what it sometimes that's what it comes down to is that the, the person that's going through it and the people that's supposed to help them, they get it's like they get mad when they actually have to do work. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying social all social workers are lazy. I'm not saying all uh, child welfare professionals are lazy. Don't get me wrong. I understand the child welfare um, system is always overburdened, underfunded, not always yeah. a priority. Like, look at the recent election. I don't know if they um, selected a secretary or um, uh, nominated someone for the um, secretary of child welfare. I believe that's the name of the position. I could be wrong. Don't quote me. But the administration has yet to appoint someone for the child for child welfare and social services. That goes to show where the their priorities are. Everywhere else has a has a a, a person in, in in a position, but child welfare is still we still outstanding and waiting for somebody to be there to take to say, okay, I'm going, you know, I'm gonna lead this ship forward. Right. Um. But you have to be strong. You got to be strong. And I'm not going to sit up here in front like I was always strong. No. As a, as a young child, I was I was scared for my life. Most most more 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 than I wasn't more times than not. I was very scared. And yes, I have lost a lot of battles, a lot of fights. I mean, now that I think about it, these were grown people. I wasn't going to win this fight anyway. But still, um. I had to, I got knocked down a lot, but I got to a point where I was like, look, that same breaking point. I got to a breaking point where I was like, look, ain't nobody else going to put their hands on me. Ain't nobody else going to make me do something. Nobody else is going to touch my hair. Nobody else is going to, you know, mm. do stuff to me. Take my things, take my toys, take my clothes, take certain things that they know that I like sentimental stuff. Nobody's going to do that to me no more without me taking action. And guess what happened? When I started doing that, that's when, oh, she's. She's a difficult child. She's, you know, she, excuse me. Um, shortly after, like, when, like for example, I started fighting back a foster mother who used to beat on me sometimes. Mm. And I'm not going to front and say that I didn't deserve some of the beatings, but it was the extent to which she would beat me. She would close fist punch the shit out of me in my arm, in my forehead, you know. Yeah. And when I got... And she, and, she, and she had children and she she had a child and she never beat on that girl. She never put her hands on her, honestly. Not, so if I can remember, she never put her hands on her. Um, but she would beat me. And when I got old enough, when I got big and I got and I had enough, I started fighting her back. My first fist mm. fight was with a grown woman. I was 11 years old fighting a 30-something-year-old grown woman. And it was scary. Because I had to still sleep in that house after that. That woman could could have had a psychotic break and say, you know, F this. I'm going to go kill that child. But she didn't, thank God. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's when you get fed up. It's like being in an abusive relationship. Yeah. Let me see. Uh, 
Force says, I will give awards to all the good Force appearance so the bad ones will get longer just into them. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Um, he also says, there are really more people in power on the wrong side of history and humanity. And it's a, I, I, I like that. I really like that you said that, Ace Thunder, before. Because um, in the last one, and I'm not sure if you want to uh, unpack this as well here, Gareth, but you know, just talking about how marginalized, something that resonated with me that you said was how marginalized people in, in, in the, in the uh, system tend to marginalize others, right? And there's this mm -hmm. oppression. Um, and it, that's deep, you know, because it's like, I'm already in a bad place, but now you're going to put me deeper. And it, it's almost like a crab in the bucket mentality. It's, it's very sad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you see that whole that marginalized point? I want to expand on that just a little bit more. Give me like 30 seconds. So that marginalized, I like, uh, okay. I'll start by saying the majority of children in care in New York city when you look at um, the ACS has a has a link on their page. I can't tell you. I wish. See, I want to be. I would love to be more prepared for this. But they have a link on their page. I believe it's under the publications tab. But there's a there's a there's a tab there where it shows all of their quarterly reports, and they have to report the amount of children that they have in care, and also where the where most of those children are placed. And what I noticed when I was doing that research last year um, is that a lot of children were placed, a lot more children were placed in, in, in communities. Let's just use Brooklyn for an example. I mm -hmm. found a surplus of children were placed in Brownsville, East New York. Uh, the, the, um, uh, sorry. What was the other areas that had a lot of his black baby. Hmm? I, I said Williamsburg or uh no. listen. Um it go by neighbor, it went by neighborhoods, right? Mm -hmm. But the constant high concentration of children were in neighborhoods like Brownsville and East New York. I'm gonna just use those two for example. Now okay. places like Dyka Heights had like maybe four, 14 kids. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and I almost want to say, and I could be wrong, but I almost feel like those kids were only placed in those communities because it was probably a kinship um, situation mm -hmm. or a kin gap situation uh, or maybe an adoption situation. But you don't see a lot of kids placed in nice areas like Bensonhurst, Dyker Heights, Midwood. No, you see a lot more kids in Brownsville, East New York. And with these, most of these foster mothers, low income. Right? Um, some of them... And, and just Miss Elite literally says some guy a couple years ago said he wants to be a foster parent. And a lot of people do. A lot of people do. I was just hanging out with an old foster mother of mine. And while I hold her, while I cherish her deep, you know, closely to my heart, and we have a bond, I'm not stupid. She did it for the money. It says, yeah, look at the missing children stats in this country and all of the allegations against the elite with those awkward yeah hot dojo when you find out even Sadowski abused his foster son yeah you'd be surprised it's, it's sad it's really sad. Uh, and you know and what sucks about stories like that is that those are the stories that go unsung because they don't want you they don't want you to realize just how much people do not care about other people's kids that are supposed to um but back to my other point 
-hmm. a lot of kids are in a lot of low income communities. And so when those households are struggling as a foster child, you feel that twice over because they're frustrated. They're, you know, they're probably depressed. Um, they're probably socialized in a certain way. That's like, you know, whereas they don't see children as humans, <laughs> they see children as subordinates. Um, yeah. no, I find true. that a lot in low income communities and in, the, in their child rearing um, styles that they, if you know, whew. but it's like being, like I said, it's like being marginalized by the very marginalized. They're moving you into these communities. These, mar these communities are marginalized as far as uh, resources that they receive, as far as just the infrastructure and in, within the community, um, the quality of schools, the quality of healthcare, the quality of, of even food. And so you feel that as a foster child, you feel that twice over because those, those kids in a foster home, even though that they're the, they're the foster parents, biological kids, um, even though they may be broke, poor, maybe they're not the flyest kids on the block, but they'll mm -hmm. look at you and say, well, at least I know where I come from. At least I know who my mother is. At least I got mm -hmm. a home. At least, you know, that type of stuff. At least my bed is my bed. You know how many people slept wow. on your home? Stuff so like it's almost that. like a, a sense of superiority, even though they're still even though they're in, in a bad spot. Yeah. But here's the thing that you know, foster care is disproportionately black folks, right? Let, yeah. Let's just keep it real, yeah. right? On a disproportionate level, young African American and Latino folks are in care. We we don't have that support. <laughs> That's really that and. I think a lot, I think really um, when we talk about just how the system affects us on a, on a, on a, a even greater level, because not only do we not have that support, but then we're also, our skin color is also impacted. So there's like all these strikes against us that just like weighs us down, weighs us down. Mm -hmm. We even hear about statistics, like how 3% of, young people transitioning out of foster care, only uh, 3% graduate college mm. out of, I think almost 41% uh, nationwide or something like that. Don't quote me on that, by the way. <laughs> but um, that's crazy though, right? So it's like, we're just being hit left and right with no, uh, no way to, to defend ourselves. I just think it's like, when you really think into the, the, intricacies of how foster care plays out, especially for us, it's just like, I, I'm lucky to even be alive, you know? But like, mm -hmm. one thing that I was saying too, that I had a podcast uh, episode earlier with, um, late earlier in the week with Desiree. Um, and one thing that kind of kept up, kept coming up was how we have to always fight for ourselves. We always have to, um, just hold on to these things that that we had when we were in foster care mm -hmm. and then on when we're in adulthood. So like I was mentioning a, a little bit before that like one thing I used to do is that I, I still eat my food fast. Uh -huh. And when my friends brought it up because they're like, yo, why do you eat your food so fast? Yeah. And I'm like, at one point, if I didn't eat fast, that food was going to get snatched away from me, right? Um, another thing too would be like, lying right sometimes i just like lie for no reason but like i lied when i was younger because that was my way of surviving so i'm just curious for you 
how do some of like your survival, like being in survival mode, and how does that come up for you in adulthood? Um, so, I'm not gonna find <laughs> for a long time. I, I listen, lying. I lied a lot in foster care. Trust me. All them, all them, uh, those evaluations where they try to figure out if you need medication or not. Because to me, they're not asking you if you need help. They trying to make something that I learned in college or in, in just in life is that a lot of these services are not meant to cure you. They're or even really help you. They're meant to manage what you're going through. They're not really there to. To, to make it go away. It's really just to manage it. It's, you know, cause it won't, it, it, seriously, it really won't go away. But um, a lot of these doctors, all of them, these people are, these programs, a lot of these psychiatric programs where people get their, you know, doctorate in psychology or psych psychiatrics and stuff like that. A lot of those programs are funded by pharmaceutical companies. So nine times out of 10, they're just going to give you medicine. And I knew, and I didn't know that at such a young age. I just knew that any kid that was honest about how they felt normally was placed on some sort of medicine. And then upon them being placed on a medicine and having that psychiatric exam in their folder, the foster parent got a higher rate for them. So I peeped that when I was at least like seven, eight years old. So once I peeped that, yeah, y'all not getting no real answers out of me. No, I'm fine. Nope. I don't ever think about hurting myself. Nope. I, mm -mm, no, I don't feel depressed. No, I'm good. No, nope, I don't smoke. I don't do none of that. Because if you do say yes, they're going to put you in some sort of like uh, rehab program or something. I see that. I see that. And if you listen, as a. Since and I you brought it up, now, now I got to say it, right? What? Like, uh, for me, um, man, oh, the overdose on medication, um, not just in foster care, but, like, just mental health in general, right? Mm -hmm. But I feel like there's a heavy overlap in the foster care system, right? Yeah, they medicate. I remember, so I, I, I remember um, you know, it was, like, depression and just, like, I felt bad because I was, I was, I was, Suicidal. I'm, I'm just gonna say it. I was suicidal when I first got here to help you, but because I was so broken, I didn't know how to cope. I didn't even know mm -hmm. what a coping strategy was. I was just like, "Yo, I feel bad. I get flashbacks. I, I'm like, I'm paranoid. I'm looking down the street because I think my mom is gonna hurt me. Mm -hmm. Like these are the things that I was going through. But everyone kept so quick to classify me as uh, your your um. Some people would brush it off and they would say like, oh, you're just going through it. Oh, you're just a teenager. Other people would be like, you're crazy. Uh, you're delusional, whatever the case is, right? I'm just I'm just a hurting kid. Mm -hmm. And then I had to go to the hospital and all I keep getting is like uh, overdosing on medication. Here, Depakote. Can, can I try and guess some of the medication that they would give you? Can I try and huh? guess? Matter of fact, this is how real it is. Hold on. Let me, Um, I'll be right back. Um, Alrighty, I'm back. I'm back. I just ain't want y'all to. Okay, so I'm back. Can I take a guess on some of the medicine that they gave you? Of course. All right, let's try this. You ever heard of Ben's Ben's Tropine? It's spelled B E B E N Z. Okay, what about lithium? They try to get me on it. Okay, what about lorazepine? Mm -mm. What about? Oh no, that's for that's for kids that's on drugs. Okay. What about Stratera? Nah. 
I was I was on Respidol. Respidol? And uh um, Vinize? Yeah. Prozac? Nah. <laughs> what about Abilify? Yeah, Abilify too. There we go. I got all this written down. You know where this came That's from? Crazy. The sticky note is about what are we in 2021? The sticky note is four years old now. Mm. When I was working as a youth counselor in um in Albany when I was away at school, um I just noticed that a lot of those kids were that were there in that residential service. It's Thunder Two Three Four. We're gonna get right back to you on that. Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see, I see, I see it. So a lot of um the kids that I work with um took a lot depotoke was a big one too. That was that's a big pill. And I would I would be in charge of administering their meds in the morning. And 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 as I was working there, there were so many things that I just just would just stop and thank God for. I used to just thank God for discernment. I used to thank God for um, you know, for for eyes that really see things for what they are and not just believe everything people tell me and not believe. And I just to thank God for perception because guess what? You just you know, you know. When somebody's really trying to help you and when somebody's just a part of a machine or a regime. And I wrote all of these medicines down because this is the most of the stuff that the kids used to take. And I'm just like, yo, their problems are really not that complex. And it's the problems that they have, a synthetic medication cannot fix. Because what they're saying is that there's an imbalance. There's a chemical imbalance within your brain. And they use these synthetic enzymes and whatever the hell else is in it to basically provide that balance. But nothing, but if you guys don't really do the work, meaning these kids don't get no recourse against the people who have harmed them, the people who have harmed them are still getting children in their homes. The people who have harmed them are still walking the streets free. Not, you know, um, so the reason why that's why I asked you that, because a lot, trust me, I'm, I would not be surprised if these people get kickbacks or get certain, if they're getting some sort of funding one way or another through a foundation, charitable organization that's somewhat linked to a, a pharmaceutical company or pharmaceutical industry, some who knows? I would not be surprised if that's what's going on because I've seen so many kids be drugged instead of helped. And, and, that, and it broke my heart because I knew that I was once in that spot. I knew, but I also knew that nobody was going to save me and that that medicine was mm -hmm. going to help me because they did it to my brother. My brother used to live in the Abbott house. They drugged the hell out of him and to the point where we didn't even recognize him when we would go on visits, which were very far and very few far in between. And when I would see him, sometimes his weight was up. Sometimes his weight was down. Sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes he looked healthy in the face. Sometimes he looked you know, his face would look flushed or he would have like ring, like dark circles around his eyes and stuff like, and I just knew my brother was just going through it. Um, and I would cry after our visits because there was nothing that an eight year old could do to help him. Um, so we're trying to offer natural herbs first and therapy that, well, I think meds also do alter the chemical in your mind. Honestly, when I think about taking meds, this is how I see. I see the neuron in the brain like this, and I see somebody light a match, and you light the match, and it gets to right about here, and it just poop, gone. Because there's some kids I seen they put on medicine, never came back. No yeah. emotional intelligence whatsoever. No situational awareness whatsoever. And they'll say, "Oh, that's just that's just their baseline." They use words like that. That's their baseline because they took the med. That's their baseline behavior. And I'll be like, "No, no, 
they in the goddamn they in the Prozac coma or they in they 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 are just numb. They look like zombies, and that's not fixing the problem. That's numbing them. You're numbing them with these strong meds. And what happens if you have a a crisis, so called crisis, meaning when you get pissed off at somebody and you just kind of maybe throw something or yell or curse somebody out or maybe you get physically aggressive? What happens? They up the dosage after they take after mobile crisis comes in, after they take you to a psychiatric unit in a hospital and somebody uh, sits and watches you for about 24 hours, whatever, however, the, however that process goes, um, they up the dosage. And it's like sometimes these kids never come back from that. When the, the simple fix to the issue, the simple fix to the issue was to listen to the child. Do your best. To, to get some sort of recourse for the child, for the person, period, that was wrong. Because this doesn't only happen to kids in foster care. This happens to victims of sexual abuse. This happens to people of, you know, that, that have developmental disabilities, maybe. And, you, you know, you know it's just, there's a spectrum of reasons why people would have to be put on medications. But not all the time these medications work. They manage the issue. They don't make it. They don't cure it. So... That's Understanding true. that, oh, and this was another thing that kept me that 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 um helped me survive, staying vigilant, being observant, and 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 legit just observing, like just watching how people interact, you know, just watching them. That's why they say prisoners are dangerous because they have more time than everybody else in that place. They watch, they see who comes in. Who goes on rotation? When when um, shift change? What happens? They know which security officers get along. They know which ones don't. They know which the cops, which officers, the dirty officers. They know which ones not to play with. They know who is connected. They watch and they learn your routine. They learn. That's why now they. I guess I don't know what they're doing now, but for a while they was trying to just have like a random sample of officers on duty at a time because they're like, yo, these prisoners is getting, are they getting used to our routine? They know us. And so that's how they would plan how to sell their drugs, how to do this, how to, you know, whatever they do. Um, but watch and learn because honestly, I know people might say, oh, I'm being dramatic or, you know, but being in foster care as a kid, I felt like I was in prison. I felt like I was in prison in my own body because Everybody was doing stuff to me, cutting my hair, taking me away from my brother, telling me when I could go to a visit, telling me when I could take a shower, telling me when I could use the bathroom, telling me when I have to go to school, telling me, telling me, telling me, everybody's telling me something. Nobody's telling me when I'm going home, though. Nobody's telling me where my mother mm. is. Nobody's telling me, you know, this is not your fault. Wow. You know, unless, unless they just trying to be fake compassionate. You know, sometimes don't get me wrong. I had some very few genuine people along the way, but for the most part, everybody was real. I'm here. I'm trying to do a job. I'm trying to do the best I could do. And believe it or not, a lot of social workers are that way because they don't get no support from their management and their management doesn't get support from their management. And the executive cabinet doesn't give a shit about what goes on in the middle and the front line, as long as it doesn't mess up their funding, doesn't mess up their reputation, and it doesn't cause for any great risk or concern. They're good. Nobody's... So that's why I say I, I try not to make it seem like everybody, every professional. Yeah. And, and there's barely any emotional support for the kids. But then even the workers don't get emotional support. Yeah. Yep. I've seen that too. Pissed off equal straight jacket. Yep. It's so true. It, 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 it is true. Because a lot of huh? Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say it is true because I know for me, as soon as I 
I remember uh, oftentimes when I was taking the medication, I'd be like, yeah, I do feel depressed. Oh, let's put you on more medication, right? But once I said like, oh, I feel good, I feel happy, and I was like pretending to do well, all of a sudden, nothing. Like, yeah. we're gonna let, we're, they just laid yeah. back. It was like, okay, cool. Like, okay, the medication. I'm like, mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what's going on here? Like, mm-hmm. so I feel like, you know, just the mental health, now we're talking about a little bit more mental health, but like, I feel like it incentivizes you to lie because I'm just like, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you think I'm trying to stay here longer? I want to be exactly. around for Exactly. I'm not going to sit up here and tell this 24-year-old Jewish girl that's in in, in school just trying to get a credit and yes. get over her. I'm not about to sit up here and tell her, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling like that girl is there to get a credit, get through the day, and go about her business. And, and then they go right back home at 5 o'clock exactly and we're stuck in there. She's going to do exactly what the booklet told her to do. She's going to document it, refer out, and, and, and she did her part. She's gonna document it, refer you out. And 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 that is that all within itself is her doing her part or he doing his part. That for that for that professional person, quote unquote professional. Um, but what I was I was going to say, oh yes, with the with the with um when you get pissed off equal straight jacket. It is so easy for them to do that because it's easy for them to sell that narrative. This is a problem, child. See, they've been in foster care for so long. They have all these bruises and and hurts. Yeah, yeah, they just they just need some It's so easy for people to accept that narrative about a kid in 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 a, in a messed up situation it's so easy for them to say yeah we had to you know we had to mobile crisis them to such and such unit or um campus hospital whatever because yeah. they were just, they they were getting and 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 not even realizing that the that the uh the foster mother or maybe someone who lives in a home or maybe uh, a youth counselor um let's see a youth counselor or some sort of residential professional um pissed you off or provoked you or provoked you. Cause I've seen it happen. I've seen counselors tell children or, or try to um, use their home visits or, or their, their, you know, certain things, maybe even food. They stopped that mm-hmm. by, by policy and law. They stopped it, but some people still do it. Um, they will use, they'll say, Oh, well, you know what? If you don't go take a shower right now, then you're not getting that home visit this weekend. Even though that counselor doesn't have the authority to say something like that, people so, um, so. believe them and it triggers them and then they go off. No, they don't take the shower, but they start messing up the place. So guess what they do? They make an incident report. They document it. And then they call in their mobile crisis or whoever's the person on that shift to deal with that type of issue then. And then what happens? The kid gets sent to the ER or, or the, the, the psychiatric unit or whatever. And then another counselor has to go sit with them until um, they're discharged or until someone comes to relieve them from their shift. And that's just mm-hmm. how it goes. But in the incident report, you'll never see the part where the counselor threatened the child with taking away their home visit. No, they'll put counselor so-and-so asked resident such-and-such to go take a shower as a part of daily programming. Child refused. Counselor prompted them twice and child just began to act unruly. I've seen it. Yes, I believe you. (laughs) And it's such an easy narrative. Everybody believes it because, oh, 
these children are problem children. They may not admit that they have that outlook, but you can tell that they do by the way they respond to certain things and by the way that they deal with it, with the, um, the lack of urgency in which they deal with these kids in. Now, from that example that I gave you, I said, I said to the cat, to my coworker, I said, now, why would you sit up there and tell and put down that this child just started acting crazy and you knew what you did? What you said to them? Oh, it don't matter anyway. They didn't. Now, disclaimer: nobody know any job that I've ever worked in social services. They do not know that I was in foster care. I say that mm -hmm. I do that for a reason because what they will do is that they'll, they'll try to do that uh, psychoanalysis. Oh, maybe you see the issue like this because you were once on that side of the fence. They do that. You ever dealt with that? I deal with like that's why people yeah. don't, I don't let people know that I was in foster care because then they're automatically everything is oh because you were traumatized oh because of this and oh because of that everybody now knows everybody you know all of a sudden oh your socialization is everything and and it's bullshit. They're it's, quick to label you. They're trying to cover up their own you know bad characteristics or whatever or bad character period because a lot of people in social services got bad character bad 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 character. Um, but yeah, I see it happen a lot where these issues are not dealt with. But being observant as I was, I was able to avoid that because trust me, you don't think a foster mother tried to get extras um, or special rates for me, exceptional rates for me, please. But I said, no, she's lying. I'm not crazy. I don't think about killing myself. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I rode that boat all the way up until I was 22. Um, mm -hmm. But when I did start acting out, what happened? When I started standing my ground and not letting foster mothers take my allowance money, not letting their kids tell me what to do, not letting their kids bully me, um, what happened? Oh, you've been in so many foster homes. You can't fit in a family setting. Okay, we're putting you in a group home now. Not even say we. A social worker made that decision. She made that reference. She made a note, I guess, in my file somewhere. Child, blah, 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 whatever she wrote. Um, and I was in a group home for about almost an entire year. And then when I got to the group home, guess what they said to me? You don't belong here. You're not like these girls. After you a year? Huh? After a year? After about four, give or take four or five months, the, the staff in the group home, I was in two Actually, groups. You, you, don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to say, um, obviously for confidential reasons, you don't have to say the group home or anything. Say but that again? No, I said for confidential uh, purposes, you don't have to say the um, the name of it. But no, 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 no. I'm not going to mention anything. I'd, I'd be curious, like because there's some people that have done. There's some people that I that have done like crazy things, and I still I'm still in contact with them. I still have a relationship with them of some sort. That I'm not. I'm don't worry. I'm not going to mention no names, no agencies, none of that. Because mm -hmm. I'm still, I need. To, I have to do. I got. I, I'm trying to work on my future, and I'm pretty sure if I say their name, they probably gonna blacklist me but um uh there had there were there where was I? yes i was placed in a group home and after about three four or five months the staff told the case planner like she doesn't belong here she i mean she a walls but not on some like we know she's gonna a wall like she'll tell us i'm not coming back tonight and i i will tell them i'm not coming back tonight i have a party i want to go to i got something else whatever <laughs> I'm not coming back tonight. Oh, you know you're not gonna get your allowance. That's fine, because I always found that I, I always I, found a way. No, I wasn't tricking. I wasn't prostituting. None yeah, of that. Yeah. I would, I would do honest stuff. I would help people. I would take in groceries. 
for sure. But grass, so, so, so. you know, stuff what, like that. One thing with the A wall, though, because I always wanted to address this, uh-huh. right? Because I know for me, actually, I, I thought about A walling so many times when I when I was in the residential treatment facility and in Hawthorne, mm-hmm. and I was just like, eh, I'm, I'm eventually. I didn't want to mess up my. If I AWOLD, I, I felt like I was going to mess up my plans for transitioning into my kinship care. So I didn't want to mess that up. That's the only reason why I didn't AWOLD. Yeah, but they make it seem like... But like, I'm, I'm curious for you. Like, yeah. you know, obviously you wanted to do things. You wanted to get out oh, of there. Yeah. But I'm curious... What do you think are some reasons that people AWOLD? Like, just, I'm trying to get out of here. I don't want to be here no more. I can't speak for everybody. I can only speak for myself. Okay. Um, and okay. although I was in foster care, I would look around at other kids and other young individuals and I would kind of shake my head at them because I would say like, yo, this, uh, this system is already built to destroy you and you already you doing more shit to destroy yourself. Mm. And these people are enjoying it. No matter how much they come up to you and say, oh, you need to stop doing that. You need to stop acting the, like like they care. Sometimes they just like to see you making an ass of yourself. And it's a lot of I cannot say speak for everybody. Now, some of the other girls with AWOL because they want to be with a man. They want to s- go out. They want to enjoy themselves. They want to, they were they running away from the environment in the group home of being, feeling like they're, you know, in, uh, like they're in, not in prison, but they're, somebody's controlling them. Mm. Some of the girls were AWOL for that reason. Some of them okay. were AWOL for reasons I probably cannot say because I have never exposed myself to stuff like that. But I can tell you why I used to AWOL. Like I said, I wanted to go out. I wanted to have fun. I was a teenager. I was a 15-year-old teenager. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm pretty sure normal kids and families have curfews, but the people I was yeah. running with, they was grown. They ain't had no curfews. They had their own crib. You know, they was, you know, and that's why I was AWOL. And quite frankly, I didn't AWOL often. I AWOL on my birthday. I AWOL on let's say someone else like a friend of mine or a family member of mine's birthday and nine times out of ten wherever I AWOL to is where I'm staying at night and I'm gonna be fed and I'm not gonna come back home pockets empty hungry clothes dirty stinking and smelling like some of the other girls no I was gonna come home pockets full stomach full maybe I'm gonna have some more stuff than I I'll probably come back with more stuff than I left with but that's reasons why I would AWOL or like for example I AWOL from a foster home once because my aunt was in the hospital on her deathbed and there's no damn no no I don't give it when I came home that night the cops was let's just put it like that the cops was there like I told that foster mother my aunt is on her deathbed I don't give a damn about no case I don't care I don't give a damn about no case plan I don't give a damn about no ACS I don't give a damn about none of that protocol policy I don't give a shit about none of that my aunt was on her deathbed so yeah I AWOL so what what y'all gonna do? Y'all gonna document it and move on. Sometimes foster parents won't even, or or well, the group home they have to they have to report that. But foster home sometimes they don't report it because they know if they report you able, they don't get the rate for that night. They don't mm-hmm. get paid for that night. It gets deducted. So sometimes they don't report you. Sometimes they do. Who knows? Sometimes they do. Like the foster mother that did that, she she was kind of she was trying to cover her own ass. Shit, they'll tell you that, oh, it's out of concern, out of this, but no, more time when people do stuff in foster care or residential, it's to cover their own ass. It's not because they care about you. It's not because they're going to look for you. That They know that you don't want to be there. You're in a situation where you do not want to be constantly because it didn't matter how many foster homes they put me in. I didn't want to be there. 
that's just was the bottom line. I don't, I don't want to be in a household where I have to, like, I have to acclimate. They don't have to acclimate to me. I have to acclimate to them. I have to change for them. They don't have to change for me. And I think that's the point that I was alluding to, Miss um, Elite, when when you were talking about adopting that a part of doing that work. Sometimes it's the 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 burden is on the child to integrate themselves into that fourth, into that dynamic, into that setting. And uh, everybody else kind of just stays as they are. And the child has to, they have to conform to that. They have to, that's why I said a lot of people only know the me that got to know them. They don't know me. They know the me that learned how to deal with them. So they think that that's me. Mm. Because they're like, oh, she's, you know, she's pretty easygoing. No, I'm like that with you because that's, that's how we are. Another person would say, Nah, she's she's a rude kid. She's disrespectful, but that's that's no. You got the dariff that got to know you. So if you what you give, you gonna get. Best believe. Mm -hmm. So, I think that's the point that I was alluding to earlier about children and care. The burden is on you to to change and to, to and to acclimate and to adjust. I noticed how they they'll say maladjustment and not ask you like what are some of the things that that make you not want to get comfortable or, or or settle into this household or settle into this dynamic this situation it's always about oh maladjustment oh she's just not adjusting well just like in like i said like i said in, in our last um meeting uh just like like i said i understand oppression so much more easy so much more now because i have been in foster care because in 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 those in those situations the burden of proof is on the person that was wronged on the black person to say well yeah they did this to me and why they did this to me that like if the burden of proof is on you so the burden of adjustment is on the child on the foster child or on the, the child that's in that in that setting you have to adjust not everybody else you do and if you don't you become a problem because why you just can't go along with the program. Mm -hmm. Just go along with the program. That's, that's really what it be. Just go along with the program. Don't nobody want to do no extra paperwork. Don't nobody want to stay in, you know, really figure out what you're, just go along with the program. It's a yes or no question. Yes. No. Okay. Boom. That's facts. That's what it was. That's what helped me survive. Learning all of that. Sticking to my guns and standing ten toes down, even when I was scared, scared as God knows what. Um, praying too. Uh, I don't know about other kids and kids, but listen, God brought me through. And I'm not a pious person. I'm not religious. I don't go to church every Sunday. I don't read the Bible all the time. No, but I do believe that something was protecting me all of these years, and I'm still here, 24 years later, to tell my story and continue to tell my story and continue to, uh, you know, push through and 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 come out hopefully on top. You know, I'm not saying every time I came out on top, but there's some times where like, like that, what that, what's that? Uh, I don't know what prayer that is, but when they say, oh, he will prepare a table for me before my enemies. Huh? That shit is true. Cause I've watched foster parents who treated me like shit after I left family, unhappy, depressed, crazy. Um, yeah. Nah, that's well said. Whew. Yeah. That's heavy. Cause, uh, but I can't tell you why other people a world. You gotta ask them that because they got some wild. Nah, that's, that's fine. Um, <laughs> you know, because I, I think it's I think it's one of those things that a lot of agencies still can't seem to for whatever reason take their mind off it. 
And for me, as a like from the perspective of someone who was in care, I'm just like, yo, people are tired of the environment. They don't want to be hard. here. They want to be with their family. They want to have a sense of normalcy. Thank they, you. And so being in the environment in which uh, a bunch of kids and not being with your family and not having a phone. Well, and it being somewhere that you're not sure if you even normal. wanted there. Right. And you're not sure you you and because nine times in my mind, anytime I was in a home, I knew well after the let's see, because I didn't know that foster mothers got money until I was like probably a little bit older, until I was like like maybe like nine, eight, nine, ten. I didn't mm. know that they got money for, for us. So I was getting gypped a lot in the beginning. <laughs> in the beginning of my like teenage years, I was getting gypped because I didn't know we get allowance. I didn't know mm. we get a golden allowance. I didn't know we get a, a, a pocket allowance. So but most of the time, after after I knew that, I said, oh, I'm here for a dollar. I'm a dollar sign. I'm a cash cow. Cash flow. So if that, you know, but you, listen, you got to look beyond all of that and you got to see those people. If those people going to allow money to rule them, that's them. Mm. That's them. They don't got nothing to do with me. And what I notice a lot of time is that the these poor kids get burdened with other people's character shortcomings. Like, people don't want to admit how, you know, how should I say, ingenuine they are or, or how un, or, or, inauthentic, un, or unauthentic they are. Inauthentic, yeah. And listen, let's give, if you, ha- I'm going to throw this question out there. If you had the choice to choose between a place where you were comfortable, you're not supposed to be there, but a place where you were comfortable. You knew that you could go in the refrigerator and eat when you want or eat anything mm-hmm. you want and not be getting yelled at or not be expected to replace it because it wasn't yours. Or, you know, when you're, when you, and, and, and then also, and then you have the other option on, on the other hand. Okay. Let me finish the, uh, where you are in this, let's say that this is place a, if you have a place a, you get to eat when you want, where you, when you want, um, you get to sit on, you know, you're comfortable. You know that you're welcome there, and you know that you probably won't uh, over. You don't think about overstaying your welcome. You had the option to stay there, or you're going to choose option B, where you're mandated to be, where you're regulated on what you can eat and when you can eat and how much you can eat, and mm. and then you're, you know, all of everything that you're doing is being documented or being uh, observed or being watched. And then you're not sure if you're welcome there. You know, at mm-hmm. some point you're gonna overstay your welcome, and you know that nine times out of ten you're really only there because this person is receiving a boarding stipend for you. Would you choose to stay at place A or place B? You're gonna stay at place A, regardless if you get able. Why you think the slaves ran, knowing damn well they could have been killed? Because you're gonna choose. You're gonna choose place A, regardless of what place B. So what you mark me down A wall? So what? So what? I was able, yeah, but I was somewhere safe. I was, I didn't have to deal with nobody yelling at me or nobody taking out their frustration on me. I didn't have to deal with somebody, you know, the person who fed me, they wasn't counting the dollars behind the meal of which Mm -hmm. they fed me. They're not reminding me every chance they get that I'm on, I'm living here on borrowed time. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, when I ate wolf, it was because I wanted to be somewhere comfortable and not somewhere where I gotta watch. Who's coming in and out of my room? Cause them girls used to steal. Lord, 
you know, I don't have to share a bathroom with a girl whose hygiene is probably not there. Um, I don't have to be, I don't have to worry about a staff member who's probably upset today and doesn't want to come to work. So she's making my day harder. Um, saying no to everything, saying, no, I can't open a kitchen for you. No, I can't open a laundry room for you. No, 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 no. Like, you know, you don't got to deal with stuff like that. I mean, thankfully the staff after a while, they, they understood that, okay, she's not like them. Like she deserves respect and I, they respected me. So yeah, sometimes they opened up the laundry room for me when they wasn't supposed to. Sometimes I got in the kitchen when nobody else was, you know, after hours and mm -hmm. okay. Cause they know that Dareth not going to run her mouth. Dareth is not going to disrespect me. She not going to make me regret towing the line for her, that kind of thing. So I built up that rapport that even when I did AWOL, sometimes I still got my allowance because I wasn't disrespectful. I didn't destroy the property in the house. I respected myself first. So that's what made that living in a group home a little bit better for me because they didn't have, they, 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 they wasn't getting gossip back about which guy on Staten Island I was dealing with. They respect you behind stuff like that as a female. I don't know how it goes for the guys, but as a female, they respected you. You know, I didn't ever stink. I didn't, they never seen dirty drawers laying in my closet or under my bed, stuff like that. So that, the, you know, the hard part of the group home was dealing with the other females. But as far as the dynamic with staff and such and such and such, I kind of, you know, I kind of just eased through that. That helped me a lot. And that also did help me in foster care too. Um, when people, re when people grow respect for you, when I, as I got older, people, I noticed people do not like teenagers because teenagers are handful. You've been, you've seen some of your peers in foster care. They off if, if they did that shit in your house, you, you wouldn't like it either. So you can, it's not like foster parents against foster kids at that point. It's more so about being just the kind of person that you are. So as, as a teenager, although I was still in a lot of foster homes, um, what, what helped was the fact that they respected me or I established some sort of respect. I, I, I marked my boundaries. This is, this mm -hmm. is a for me. Um, I know how much allowance I'm supposed to get. If you have chores or routines in your house, tell me up front. Don't try to come at me when it's after two, three weeks of, oh, you see everybody else doing it. So why you just didn't pick up? No, you need to tell me what, what is the, and then establish a routine. And I expect you to hold everybody in here, child, biological child or no biological child to the same standard. So once they realized, like, okay, that's just that's that's how she is. They they started, so that helped me out a lot too, um, gaining people's respect. But then sometimes it's not really gaining. It's like you come in the door demanding it, like you know, you gonna respect me. I don't give a mm. kind of situation I'm in. I know that you think that I'm below you because I need you. You think I need you, but that's not the case. Real in reality, most of them foster mothers need you because without that check, they can't pay their mortgage, they can't pay their rent, they can't buy their kids. The, every Jordan, every Montclair, every Mackage, whatever the hell it is. So, yeah, yeah, it is hard for teens in in the foster care system because because you don't know where you don't know what they where, when they show up to your door, you don't know what they just went through in the last six months, three years, two years. You don't know what kind of kid that you get. You don't know how many people that kind of remind you or remind them of you you don't know that so it's it's hard when you and and no matter how much a tough exterior some kids try to put forth it's really because they're afraid they're scared they're nervous how is this home going to be like is she going to be like the last one am i going to be able to go to the same school am i going to be able to go see my friends because sometimes i have foster foster parents who was okay with me going out visiting friends just don't bring them back to my house 
And then I had some forced appearance that would say, no, your friends got to come here and visit you if they really want to see you. You can't go out with your friends. Some forced appearance gave me a curfew. Some said, look, keep in, keep in touch with me. I don't, I don't mind what time you come in. If you need me to come get you, those are the best kind of forced appearance, which I only had like one of. But if you need me to come get you, I will. Just keep in contact with me. I need to know where you are. If at any point I call you three, four times consecutively and you don't pick up, then I'm going to start to take steps to cover my ass. But for the most part, I respect you enough that I'm going to allow you this leeway. And if you mess it up, that's on you. If not, cool. We got, we have an understanding. So that works for me. Keeping your word is a big thing. If you tell a foster mother, you, you, this type of child, this type of person, stick to that. Don't, don't switch gears when you get pissed and start messing up their house and stuff like, like, but that's just my opinion. For me, yeah. that's what got me through foster care. I'm not going to say I didn't lose using that method, but I didn't always, I mean, I won more than I lost because people. I still have some of those relationships to this day. I didn't burn certain bridges. Like I, forced, like I said, there's a force. I just came from her house today. Um, her son helps me with investing. Um, he, you know, she tells me, Didi, I don't want you to leave foster care and have to go into a NYCHA apartment or go into some sort of low income housing. I don't want you to pay thousands of dollars in rent when you can pay that much in mortgage come let me help you manage your money so that when you're done with this program supportive housing you can put down on a house and you're not paying 17 1800 in rent you're paying 1800 in mortgage you own what you live in let me teach you how to invest these are the things that i'm teaching my kids and let me tell you no matter how much i, I like that lady was a gold digger and how much she was trying to just take i mean don't worry, i still think she does it for the money but no matter how much I feel that way, that love that she showed me enough to teach me what she told her own kids is what keeps me coming back to her. Because no matter, you know, yeah, we have our ups and downs, but what relationship is perfect? Um, that I, I appreciate her and I love her for that because it's like you could be like any other force mother and say, "Nah, let me just teach my kids this," and so I could always talk about how my how bet how good my kids are. No, she said, "I'm teaching every kid that come in my house going to learn this if they want to, if they're willing to, if they're willing to accept it." Right, because you could bring a horse to the water, but you can't make a drink. If they're willing to accept it, I'll teach them that. And if you you take and look, I'm good financially. I'm good. Do the supportive housing program know that? No, I still need y'all. I need y'all. I need this little cheap rent until I could get to where I want to be. And that's really to me, that's how you're supposed to use these programs. Yeah. yeah, let them think that woe is me. Yes, we need help because they think you know. But no, grind and grind in the background and. Put that front up, like yeah. yeah. That's and exactly that's, how you do it. That's what helped me navigate the, and that's what's still helping me navigate child welfare system, social service, whatever the hell you want to call it. That's what still helps me navigate through life. Sometimes people just want to feel like they're helping you. People want to feel important. They want to feel like they're changing the world, as their, mm -hmm. uh, as the recruiter probably told them they would in this in this position yeah. that they're yeah. in, mm -hmm. making a difference in people's lives. You gotta let them think that. Please, it's their ego. But these are some of the things that help me navigate the forces system. Being emotionally intelligent enough to say, okay, this case planner clearly just wants to feel like they're helping me. Like the case planner I have right now for this supportive housing program, she's nosy. She's abrasive and she likes to psychoanalyze and she be off, mm -hmm. way off, way far from what that what the issue is. But people like her, I just let her talk. I let her talk. And that's just what it is. I let her talk. And do and think that she's helping me, but um, that's how I navigate the. That's how I navigated the foster system, and that's how I continue to navigate. Nah, that that yo, 
See, and right there, that's like a bunch of hidden gems, right? Because it goes over what to look for in a healthy, uh, a healthy foster parent, how to cope, how to deal with and navigate with the foster care system, mm -hmm. um, what unhealthy uh, foster parents look like, how to set your boundaries, how to be strong, and even your reasons for AWOLing, amongst other things, right? So it's like, yo, <laughs> yo, Dareth just went in, <laughs> you know, and, and that's why I really, she, I, I think Dareth still feels like I might be capping a little bit, but I'm, tell, I'm telling her, like, yo, you really do have, like, one of the best stories I've ever heard. Thank I, you I, so I, much, Tony. I, I, yo, I gotta, I gotta replay you that um, the the one that we had because mm -hmm. literally, I think in the um, no, the season for the season finale of season two, um, I literally say like, yo, Dareth was my favorite interview, like, you know, so it's you know, like you this that I really thank you because had you never extended that that offer, that invitation, I would have mm -hmm. never thought about from that night when we met at the New York Foundling Building. And you mentioned that you had a podcast and Ayana mentioned that she had a YouTube channel. And I'm, you know, I still, I, yeah. I reached out to her about that too. But had you never extended that offer or said anything at all, I would have never in a million years been on a platform like this right now talking about my story. Wow. For one, because for a long time, I was ashamed of being in foster care. I was ashamed. Um, mm. It wasn't until after I graduated. Mm, okay, I wouldn't say graduated, but it wasn't until after like three or four years well, I'll say about two and a half years into college that I began to understand that this is not a taboo. This, mm -hmm. this is more common than you think. And then especially when I used to work with the kids um, in, in the residential facilities and the group homes is when I actually started to embrace my story because I saw how other people's stories panned out and I saw how other people's stories, um, you know, came to, came, you know, came to, you know, fruition and, and to go. But, um, it's yeah, it's it's an unfortunate um thing. Yeah, because I I was gonna say I I've always um I usually always felt kind of humiliated about being in foster care too, mm -hmm. and I felt like that was one of those things. Like every time I was with my foster parent, uh, even before my aunt, like it was like I always felt like I had something to hide, like I was living a double life. Every time my my friends would come around, they'd be like, "Yo, she don't look like." You don't look like her. Like, what's going on? Like, oh my god, no something like. And it feels like all the blood. Like, I, I always like, felt like I had to, like, oh, you know, she's like a relative or a godmother, blah blah blah, right? But deep down inside, I always felt kind of like, damn, like I don't want them to know the truth, right? Because it kind of felt like a stain in my life. It kind of mm -hmm. felt like. It was. It felt like, like I'm a motherless child. I'm a fault. I'm a. You know, I don't have a. Nobody's here to protect me. Everybody else. I think what hurt the most, and what still kind of, like, like when you asked about what are some of the things that you feel like for. Okay, at first it used to be just like, the 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 obvious things. Oh, you know, you know, you don't got family. You don't got this. You don't got that. Blah blah blah. blah, blah. But then later on in my life, like right now. It, it, it not right now, but like a couple, like maybe a year or two ago, it was battling feelings of worthlessness. And damn, I was that worthless that my mother and my dad couldn't try harder and fight their demons to protect me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
and and being apprehensive into getting into intimate relationships because I have such a high standard now that it's not just about me. It's about my future, who I want to be and what kind of parent I want for my kids. Um, and so that if I slack in any way that they can pick up so that my kids don't have the amount of voids that I had growing mm -hmm. up, the amount of chips I probably had on my shoulder growing up. Um, but yeah, like I still battle certain things like of love of wanting to be protected and want to have that one person I could run to when things aren't all, you know, aren't peachy and, and oh, yeah. that can just really sit down and say, you know, Daph is going to be okay. That, that really has known me. And I think I said this in our last um, talk mm -hmm. that like that person that has known you from the time you were an infant, a child till now, somebody who has watched you grow and who has, and who has enjoyed and took pride in watching you grow into this person. Like people do take pride in like, oh my God, Derek, you're just so wealthy. But they, they're saying that because it's like, damn, she did go through something, but we don't, they don't know the details of that. They don't, they, they weren't with me when I would cry at night and, and just mm -hmm. go in the bathroom at school and cry because the kids were probably teasing me or maybe, you know, maybe the teacher said or asked me a simple question of like, where's your family from? And I didn't know how to answer that question. What family? I probably would answer back. What family? What do you talk like? You know, oh, when everybody mm -hmm. comes to school, when remember, like you know, certain times people would bring their parents to school, and they'd have like certain. Oh, oh, I had to choose between the foster mother who looks nothing like me, mm -hmm. and who probably doesn't even treat me properly. I don't want to bring her and say, "Yeah, this is my parent." Yo, I used to hate those parent-teacher conferences. Boy. I was always like, they'd be like, oh, who's that? They'd be, my secret's gonna come out. My secret's gonna come out. My secret's for, gonna come yes. out. Yes. And then for the teacher yeah. who already knew, but kind of still couldn't couldn't control their facial expression when they saw them. Mm -hmm. like, oh. Yep. Like they're trying to act like they don't notice, but they do. They do. Mm -hmm. they do. Um that that they that was uh, yeah, that was uh and and that's the thing, like not only having to hide that, but also just the stigma of like, I don't want to be here. But I also want to kind of segue into um, in that same vein, having to navigate the conversations that people have, like things that you shouldn't say to force you, right? Because I know for me, there's been times where like people would, would people be sometimes. They'd be like, or your parents, or uh, or well, I wouldn't. If I was in a panel, or I was in a panel discussion, right? And I, I was telling my story. One of the uh, fundraisers uh, or higher ups or whatever the case was, they came up to me and they're like, they was like, "Oh, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that," and they were just giving me this big pity party. And I'm like, I don't want you. I don't want your <laughs> your sympathy, like, bro. I've been through what I've been through. I, I'm learning to heal from it. And this isn't, it, it isn't over for me. So like, oftentimes I kind of felt like this is something that, um, it doesn't make me who I am, right? My circumstances don't make me who I am. And I'm above that. I'm above just my success story. I don't know what happened to Darren just now. <laughs> she just froze out on me. I don't know what's going on, y'all. Um, but yeah, I, I oftentimes felt like um, just sharing my story and having that sense of vulnerability was just too much for me. And I don't, I, I don't want to use my emotional labor to talk about, you know, my upbringing and how I navigate it. 
especially with a stranger. So that's that's one of my takes with it. I'm really not sure what happened with Darith. Oh, damn. Okay, I guess I'm going to have. To, oh, wait, hold on, y'all. <laughs> hold on, y'all. By the way, let me get in at these comments. Exactly, a child should always feel at home. I definitely agree with that. One second, Darith. And then, um, teens, yeah. Let me see. You back with us, Derek? I'm not sure what's going on. Hold on. 